Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. This is Leprechaun Lunch with Sean Styers and Jim Irizarry on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Today, a beautiful fall day in early November in South Bend, along with Jimmy Rosari. I'm Sean Steyers. It's the Leprechaun Lunch presented by our favorite bank, First State Bank, lending strength to our communities by devoting themselves to helping local businesses grow and prosper. I guess, Jim, it is fitting that we uh, kind of start off. Would you call that an Irish jig? Is that is that what that music is? Um, as I blow my ears out from the previous person in here having the headphones way too loud. Wow! Well, Holy well, cow! You know that's uh, as you know that is that is one of the uh, <laughs> wow. side effects of a career in radio when you yeah, wear yeah. headphones. Yeah. And uh, you know Darren is the morning guy. Yep. <laughs> and uh, oh, man, wow! Having worked with Darren for a few years now, you know I know that that his his ears are uh, at, a, at an advanced stage of hearing loss compared to mine. Sweet. <laughs> but uh, And especially now since following him up, you know, because I, yeah, I have my, the same thing. <laughs> mine are now on that way. So. That's right, because usually, you know, he's in the morning and then there's nobody in until I come in in the afternoon and it's like, boom! Yeah. Oh, Jesus, why? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Ow, my ears are bleeding now. Ah! Yes. So. Um, but yeah, uh, <clears throat> Notre Dame and Navy going to play in Dublin in yeah. a few years. They made the announcement yeah. yesterday. Uh, not next season, but kicking off the season after that, the 2023 season. Yeah, and so. it's it's crazy to think that 2023, the year 2023, is just two years away. You know, when you think because like <laughs> <laughs> when you start like seeing said, all, when you start seeing all these uh, you know the home and home series set up for you know 2024 and 2025 or something like that it's like oh wow why are we uh, oh that's right it's only like you know three years away i know because i just <laughs> said in a few years <laughs> but it's 2023 which mm-hmm. is two years away mm-hmm. and man i mean you know just yet another indication time doesn't care about any of us it just keeps rolling right along time, time marches on time is undefeated that's so. exactly right. That's exact, but it's pretty cool, you know, because they were, they were going to play there last year. The pandemic canceled it, and uh, so they found a way to get it done. Now, that was going to be Navy's home game, the one that was going to happen last year. But this one in twenty twenty three is Notre Dame's home game. So rather than uh, rather than playing it at Notre Dame Stadium, they're going to play it in Dublin, Ireland, at Aviva Stadium, in uh, in Dublin. So that's pretty cool. This will be yeah. the second time that Notre Dame and Navy play over there. The last time, of course, was back in 2012, and it's going to be August 26th, two years from now, and uh, it will open up that season. So pretty cool. Now, do we have to start talking about travel plans now, and <laughs> how do we bring those up without getting laughed out of the room? That's, that's exa- what I you know, want to know. Because last time, you know, I know where there were, you know, there were some other shows, <clears throat> game day. That, uh, you know, we're <laughs> trying to find a way to get over there. But, right. uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty big dime. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure we're all welcome. We're all welcome to make the trip. But, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a cheap flight over there in like, uh, some, you know, some luggage compartment. But <laughs> what we really need to do is is, you know, the media, the whole the whole media contingent should just go in and find a way to charter one plane oh, there you go <laughs> and, there you go you know the more the merrier yeah. right that'd be one fun plane actually that would <laughs> now that i think about it yes that's right 
I'm just thinking of, you know, like how much how much whiskey, how much, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. How much Budweiser, how much you know, the official beer of <laughs> of Notre Dame. How many how many drink us. carts are they going to have to load onto this plane and exactly right. will they have to kick anybody off in order to get all the booze on? I remember hearing about, you know, this is back this has been 30 plus years ago when uh it was like the Scorpions and Motley Crue and like Skid Row and some other, you know, 80s metal hair bands. Doc McGee was the and Bon Jovi. Doc McGee was the manager mm-hmm. of, of all of those different acts. And they went to Russia, you know, Moscow. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was like the first, you know, act, you know, first big concert from the west you know because it was before the wall had even come down and all this stuff and i guess mtv went along you know they all chartered a plane and went over together and uh mtv (laughs) was on this flight and it was one of those you know total decadence (laughs) one of one of those one of those we're gonna have to wait for a statute of limitations to run out type of flights Yeah. yeah Exactly. I don't, so I don't think the media flight would be quite that bad. But no, uh, no, no. That sounded pretty fun. You know, like uh, I would like to have been a fly on MTV's walls. Oh yeah. <laughs> watching that. Oh yeah. Nonetheless. All right. Well, we've got Notre Dame and Navy not in Dublin, Ireland, but tomorrow at Notre Dame Stadium, and our coverage starts at nine tomorrow morning here on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT, with a replay of the Brian Kelly Show, and then at ten o'clock. It's game day with Tim Growl and Vince D'Addario and guests. At noon, Darren Pritchett and I have game day sports beat. 2.30, it's the Notre Dame Radio Network's tailgate show. That'll take you up until 3.30 when the game kicks off, a little after 3.30 with Paul Burmeister and Ryan Harris. And then after the show, former Notre Dame quarterback Evan Sharpley and I have the post-game show. So we've got a little earlier kickoff than we've become accustomed to. 3.30 as opposed to 7.30 kickoffs the last three games right? out of prime time. And speaking of kickoff times, we still don't know next week's kickoff time, Notre Dame at Virginia. <laughs> we won't know those until after tomorrow night sometime. We were supposed to find okay. that out because it will be on the uh, ABC slash ESPN family of stations. And, okay. uh, they will let us know. So what are, what are you hoping for, Jim? What, what what kind of kickoff time are you hoping for next week? Uh, noon? Noon, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Noon would yeah. be good. Be done uh, as soon as possible <laughs> right. since you have to man things at the station all, <laughs> yeah. all noon, weekend. Noon would be all right with me on that. Um, yeah, I, you know, or 3.30, I guess. You know, just yeah. not a night game again. I'm thinking although, 3.30. I, although I'm probably, probably – probably going to get blessed with yet another night game so yeah it's usually the way it goes right yep yeah all right <laughs> well we we say that like we have such hard lives I know. <laughs> man we gotta watch football until <laughs> i know my body is still recovering though yeah because yeah, again you know time is undefeated and the older we get mm-hmm. it's like the more recoup time between you know, up until after midnight doing the shows and yep. everything else that comes during the week. My body is just bouncing all over the right. place. Yeah. Can't find a <laughs> consistent sleep schedule. Yeah, that's right. It stinks. Yep. All right. Well, what have we got to talk about first today? Check all right. On. Well, CBS Sports and ESPN, they've got some bowl projections out with the uh-huh. uh, college football playoff uh, being announced. And, of course, Notre Dame, number 10 in the poll. Uh First of all, do you agree with the top four? Um, no. Okay. I think the biggest disagreement that I, I don't I don't have a problem. Nobody has a problem with Georgia being number one. Right. I, I think that that was a given. We knew George was going to be number one. They are the most deserving team um, being in there. Alabama being number two, I think some people you know maybe have some problems with that yeah but that's gonna work itself out yeah it, it, exactly i mean there are games to be played there michigan state at number three uh, i i think i had michigan state being number four so to me they're only you know one spot higher some people say michigan state deserves number two i don't know about that because like you know when we look at what the committee said about cincinnati 
Well, be, you know, besides Notre Dame, who else have they beat? I think you can say about you, you can say that about a lot of schools, including Michigan State. Oh yeah, right now. Yeah. Um, you know, because other than Michigan, who else have they beaten? They, you know, they've they beaten Youngstown State among them. They beat Yeah, there you go. <laughs> they've beaten Western Kentucky among Woo! them. Yeah. Yeehaw. You know, they 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 won a close mm. game against Nebraska. Oh god. I was ready for another woo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they won a close game against Indiana. So, yeah. Yeah, but again, they're undefeated. I don't have a problem with them being the top four. I thought I thought that they would probably be number four. Oregon is a big, you know, uh, granted they have the win over um, Ohio, Ohio State. State. But, you know, here's, here's where, you know, it, it, they've got to win over Stony Brook. You know, <laughs> Woo! yeah, Stony Brook. They've lost to Stanford. Oh, um, oh man, that no, that just gets a laugh. Yeah, <laughs> they've beaten a bad Colorado team, and here's where, and this is what I talked about this week. What you know, what the committee has done traditionally, and they did it again this week, is they stacked the back end of the rankings to justify how they put these teams up at the top of the rankings like they've got fresno state who oregon opened up with you know fresno state solid team but oregon opened up the season with a win over fresno state and they've got fresno state at the back end of the rankings rather than teams like either houston or smu and fresno state at number 23 with a seven and two ranking and they've lost to hawaii and you know they've beaten a horrible UConn team. <laughs> now they did beat UCLA, okay. But you know they've got again wins over Wyoming, Nevada. They did beat San Diego State, you know. But the committee also put San Diego State in there, you know, because again they've justified the rankings by the way they have back ended some of this with who yeah. else they have put in there. Like, like Mississippi State is number seventeen with a five and three record, and. By putting Mississippi State at 17, it helps justify putting Alabama at number two because Alabama has one of those wins mm-hmm. over Mississippi State. So, you know, again, Oregon, what what complicates Oregon is just the fact that, yes, they've got the win over Ohio State. That's Ohio State's only loss. They've got Ohio State at number five. So those two teams are tied together. Cincinnati, you know, like the more you look at Cincinnati's resume, it's not a surprise the fact that they're from a group of five team and really the only team that they have played is Notre Dame. Now, mm-hmm. you know, they've got Indiana, Indiana on the schedule. They beat Indiana two weeks before they played Notre Dame. Indiana was good last year, but Indiana is Indiana again this year. And they just really, they, you know, they haven't. They haven't played anybody. They've, they've beaten Murray State. They've beaten Miami of Ohio. They've beaten Temple. You know, they've you know they, they just really don't have much of a resume. You know, they've got like a two-year – two or three year track record of some success but for this year i guess i'm not overly shocked at where they are so again oregon is the biggest surprise to me at number four but the committee is at least being consistent with the fact that oregon has a win over ohio state i guess but you know then it like having oklahoma all the way down at number eight with even michigan ahead of them you know so it's just I, I, you know, again, when when you it's it's not just how they rank these teams at the top. It's it's how they justify these rankings, you know, with the back end. But like Brian Kelly said, it's the first ranking of the year. There's a lot of football to be played and a lot of these teams are going to play each other. Like Michigan has to play Ohio State and Penn State in back to back weeks. And Ohio Good luck State. With that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and Ohio State still has to play both Michigan and Michigan State, you mm-hmm. know, so there's. There's still a lot of football to be played, so some of these things are going to work themselves out. But you know, again, I guess the biggest surprise to me is Oregon sitting at number four. But like when you look at the logic and the rationale, which I think you can, you know, maybe argue is absent from some of this. But you know, the logic and the rationale that the playoff committee used, you can at least see how you know they're trying to back up their own argument with the way they have ranked some other teams in the top 25. And then uh, I guess part two of that question, really, Notre Dame number ten. Right. You agree? Um, like I have a problem with Michigan being 
at number seven for starters. Like, I think that at the very least, Michigan should probably be sitting at number 10 where Notre Dame is sitting. You know, 10-9, like Michigan and Notre Dame are probably 9 and 10. Oklahoma and Wake Forest should be a little bit higher. But, you know, but again, so like Notre Dame sitting at number 10, it's not hard to see why they're at number 10. Again, mm-hmm. when you look at the fact that Cincinnati is sitting there at number 6. So, I, I you know. I'm not completely shocked. We're, we're basically talking about one or two spots yeah. for Notre Dame. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be really hard for Notre Dame to make the playoff, and I think it's going to be hard for Cincinnati to make the playoff at this point. Yeah. And like you said, too, and like everybody said, there's still a lot of football and a lot of, you know, w- you know the one and two spots are going to get worked out yeah. at some point in December. You know, uh, Michigan State and Ohio State and Michigan, you know, all that's going to work itself out. Uh, well, through the Big Ten, through the rest of the Big Ten season, anyway. And, and like, yeah. To my to my point about Alabama, them being number two, with Mississippi State, a five and three team, sitting at number seventeen, and then the committee does have Wisconsin at number twenty one, and they're five and three as well, and they've got Iowa sitting at number twenty two. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, they're they're helping prop up the Big Ten, but you know, I guess. Like that win over Wisconsin from Notre Dame's perspective probably should be worth another ranking, you know, spot or so mm-hmm. in the poll. But you know, Wake Forest is leading the uh, the ACC with an eight-no record. They're sitting right in front of them. Oklahoma's undefeated still at nine and zero, the only nine and zero team in the country, and they're sitting there at number eight. You know, so again, it's it's hard to argue. You know, we're talking about one spot or so yeah. you know, at that yeah. point. And, and they are in the top ten, which is New Year's Six contention. And for the most part, that's, that's probably the best Notre Dame is going to be able to hope for at this point is just being in a New Year's Six Bowl. Again, when you consider just like Oregon and Ohio State are tied to one another because of their head-to-head, Cincinnati and Notre Dame are tied to one another because of their head-to-head. And with Cincinnati sitting at number six, I'm not shocked that Notre Dame is sitting there at number 10 behind a couple of those other teams. But I do, you know, I do have a problem with Michigan being as high as they are. But going back to my point, Mm -hmm. the committee has done that, it would seem, to justify Michigan State being number three right now. So, All right. And then, uh, like I I was starting to say anyway, CBS Sports and uh, ESPN both have Notre Dame projected to play in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, CBS Sports uh, is projecting Kentucky to be their opponent, uh, while while ESPN is projecting either uh, either Wake Forest or Oklahoma State as as the opponent. So, out of those three, which one would you want to face? Um, Kentucky. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind Kentucky. I haven't seen a whole lot of Kentucky. Wake Forest, they've got a pretty good offense. Honestly, who was the third one, Cincinnati? Uh, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. Of those three, you know, personally, I would take any of those three, I think, okay. because they're, they're all new opponents because I think the most common, you know, with the exception of Wake Forest, they do, you know, they were supposed to play them last year. They played them a few years ago in ACC play. So, I mean, that is not overly sexy. I've seen people saying, oh, you know, you you, you want to have, the, you know, the, the best possible team in the New Year's Six, and, you know, so that means something. It doesn't mean anything because you're not in the playoffs. So, I think who you play in a New Year's Six Bowl that is not part of the four-team playoff is largely irrelevant. The biggest thing is just getting there, one, because it's a bigger payday, two, because – there's, you know, there, there's obviously more stature that comes with playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. And three, to, to cha- you know, the chance to finish in one of those bowl games with a victory. Because by the time you get to that point, you know, all that, that really matters in, in terms of residual effect is just, just like when they played in the Outback Bowl, or not the Outback, but you know, when they played uh, at the Citrus Bowl a few years back, you know, like when you play in, in, in those kind of bowls that aren't in the playoff, really the only thing that matters is do you get 10 wins, do you get 11 wins, do you get 12 wins? Because now you look back at at the records and we're talking about the, this string of consecutive double-digit 
win seasons, that, that that to me is the biggest thing. The chance to play in one of those bowls on a big stage on either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, depending on which bowl it happens to be in. And you have a chance to win on that stage. To me, that's all that matters. Now, you know, I, I won't go as far as saying they're exhibition games or, or whatever, because, you know, they, they, they do matter from, from the perspective of, you know, those are revenue, much bigger revenue bowl games and they give you a, a chance to have your program seen on the next biggest stage beyond the college football playoff all right okie dokie what you got so so jim notre dame's 15 and 1 in the month of november over the last four years they've won 14 straight games in the month of november over the last four years scale of one to ten what chance do you give them to go four and zero oh this november beginning with tomorrow against navy I, I give them give them an eight actually the the real the real test I think out of the out of this whole month is going to be next week against Virginia just because that offense is potent to say the least yeah uh, that that Virginia offense is really going to give you know the Notre Dame defense quite a test for the for the rest of the season uh, but outside of that you know you know Navy they've you know. It's a bad year for Navy. Uh, yes. Georgia Tech, you know. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. Uh, Georgia Tech, is, you know, up and down, and, you know, it's been more down the last few weeks. Uh, you know, Stanford, you know, has been real inconsistent, but, you know, they're still beatable too. Uh, I, I, I'd put it at an eight. Yeah, I, I think that I'm sitting at a maybe even a little bit more confident at a nine, you know, based on who these – teams are you know we've, we've talked about Georgia Tech they're up and down they're all over the place they're inconsistent but that's the kind of team that that you know where we are right now all of these teams Notre Dame is going to face have been inconsistent like if you mm-hmm. watch Notre Dame week to week yeah they have their own inconsistencies but they're more talented and for the most part better coached than any of these teams that they are going right to face and that has been the difference in this crazy season that we have seen in all these close games that they have been able to pull out I I think the difference has been the talent level that Notre Dame has and the fact that they are you know for the most part they're they're better coached you know and 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 just where they are it's you know as a program I think that I think you bring up a good point about Virginia Virginia should be the team that challenges them the most. Uh, I don't think that they are quite as good offensively as North Carolina, but they do have a really good offense. The only question with them, their quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, was uh, injured last week, and now they're going into a bye, and so that's going to be the biggest question. And just kind of looking at some of their reports, it is still an unknown just how healthy, you know, and if he is going to play next week. So that will be a huge question whether or not Brennan Armstrong the Virginia quarterback is able to play but yeah I'm 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 pretty confident it's going in confident going into the stretch of Navy Virginia next week Georgia Tech after that senior day and then at Stanford but you know and I'm not gonna I'm not just gonna say Stanford you know stamp that as a definite because they do have a win over Oregon in just the history Notre Dame has had at Stanford to close out some seasons they've had more success out there lately but you know but that has been a uh, a, a team and a program and a place that they've had you know some troubles with over the years so. okay all right let's go ahead and take a time out when we come back speaking of navy bill wagner our man bill wagner who always is uh is good enough to give us his time every year when notre dame plays navy from the annapolis capital gazette i talked to him earlier this week about the midshipmen. We'll take a timeout. When we come back, we will uh, hear some of Bill's thoughts on tomorrow's opponent, the Navy midshipmen. Leprechaun Lunch is presented by First State Bank. Our other presenting sponsors include Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing. Contact Ryan Hale in South Bend. Or South Bend. Are you ready for your next escape? Experience the excitement at Four Winds Casinos with award-winning cuisine, the latest slots, variety of game tables, including live poker at Four Winds Casino, your entertainment escape. Legacy Heating and Air, your cooling and clean air specialist. Find them online at LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com. South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. 
and Wings Etc. Grill and Pub with 14 Michiana area locations. Stop in today or order online at togo.wingsatc.com. With Jimmy Rosari, Sean Steyers, this is the Leprechaun Lunch presented by First State Bank on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leprechaun Lunch continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. We're presented by First State Bank. Talked with Bill Wagner from the Annapolis Capital Gazette this week about tomorrow's opponent, the Navy Midshipmen. Let's hear that right now. Let's start with Ken Niamatalola. He's in his 14th season there at Navy, but the Mids are 2-6 and six right now coming into this week's game against Notre Dame, which uh, could be his third losing season in the last four years. How firm is his footing there right now at Navy? Um, I think it's pretty firm. I mean, and he's had a lot of success. And, you know, the bottom line is they're in a very tough conference. The American Athletic Conference has really raised, raised the bar, and every week is a tough game. I mean, you're talking – this will be the fourth top 25 opponent that Navy has faced. Second ranked and undefeated Cincinnati, Navy lost 28-20. to 20, um, Or 27-20, I'm sorry. Houston was ranked. Navy lost 27, 28 to 20 and uh, SMU is ranked. So, you know, Navy's playing a tough schedule and it's just, they're young. They're so young this season. And I think that mitigates. And the fact is they've been competitive. Yes. The record on the whole does not look good, but they've been competitive. And that's with a lot of injuries that have forced them to use a lot of young players. Well, he has had some chances to take some other jobs. If you gave him true serum, do you, you know, do you think he would have any regrets at, at not moving on at some point in the last few years? No, that's a really good question. Uh, the BYU job was very enticing, and I think he would have gone to BYU had there not been a little issue with regard to the triple option because I think – BYU, and I've never really discussed this with Ken, but I've been told by very strong sources that BYU wanted Ken to bring in Ty Detmer as his offensive coordinator. Hmm. And because BYU has always been a passing offense and throughout mm-hmm. their history, that's BYU football. They wanted him to come in and be the CEO of BYU football. They thought the world of him as a man, as a coach, but they did not want to run the triple option. And <laughs> I think Coach Niamat basically said, I, I am the triple option. That's the only offense I've ever run. And I'm not going to go have a coach a program where we're using a different offense. And then if we lose, I say, why didn't I run the offense that I believe in? Sure. So uh, they hired, uh, they wound up hiring a coach who was a defensive guy, Kalani Sataki. And guess who he hired as offensive coordinator? Ty Detmer. And guess who's already been fired as offensive coordinator? <laughs> Ty Detmer. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. But, you know, you've talked about that move when we've talked in, in years past to, to being in a conference. And, and it does sound like, in, in just kind of looking, they were independent for a long time. And, and so they, they weren't playing all these repeat opponents, basically, other than Notre Dame, and it, it seems like when you sit back and look at where they are, that's that's really caught up with them now, hasn't it? Yeah, well, and I mean, people said this wasn't going to happen, but it has. The bottom line is all of the schools in the American Athletic Conference, especially those that play Navy on an annual basis, so they're in the West Division. Now, there's no, no longer divisional alignments, but they continue to play the traditional West Division schools every year, whereas the schools that were in the east the cincinnati the central florida the south florida the temple they rotate and navy will play two or three of them per year on a rotating basis but houston smu tulane those schools are navy is playing them every year and what's happening is they are learning how to play the option they learn it from experience in the game but they're also learning it because the coaching staff is building in option periods during spring practice, during preseason practice. They are working on this because they know they're going to play Navy. It used to be Navy had an independent schedule. They'd play a team, you know, home and home, and then that team rotated off the schedule and a new group of teams came in. And normally those teams never even thought about the option 
until Navy week. And they had three days of practice to prepare for the option. And Paul Johnson, the former head coach used to always say, if they can get better at defending the option in three days, then we are running the option. That's all we do all year long. Then they deserve to beat us. (laughs) Well, there is no option factor anymore. These schools are seeing the option every year. And that means the world of difference. Absolutely. Bill Wagner from the Annapolis Capitol Gazette. Some interesting stuff has, has happened out there at Navy this year. The athletic director fired the offensive coordinator, Ivan Jasper, but Niamatalola, apparently he talked him into bringing him back on staff. Can, can you kind of fill in the details of just what exactly happened there? Well, you talked about truth serum, and I think <laughs> if you gave athletic director Chuck Ladchuk some truth serum, he would admit that he made a mistake. He, in essence, did admit that he made a mistake by keeping him on the staff. Um, it was a brutal day. They lost to Air Force in embarrassing fashion. They did absolutely nothing on offense, nothing. It was beyond embarrassing, and that was a game that was a year in the making. It was played on September 11th, the 20th anniversary right. of 9-11. And, you know, Navy Air Force has normally played the first week of October they played it the second week of September, second game of the season, to commemorate that occasion. And there was a lot of um, pomp and circumstance surrounding the game, national television audience, and Navy laid an egg. And Gladchuck was furious. So I, I mean, as all Navy fans were, it was absolutely embarrassing to lose to your service academy rival in that manner. And, you know, he made a – he should have gone home <laughs> – and had a stiff drink and thought about it in the morning. If he was still as angry in the morning as he was after the game, then he, you call in Coach Diamatololo to the office and say, look, something's got to be done. Uh, I've, you know, in the end, Gladchuk's the boss. They all work for him. And, you know, it, but uh, he, he made a spur-of-the-moment decision, which I think he does regret. And basically, you know, Ivan Jasper's also the quarterback's coach. And I think what Ken Diamatololo explained to Chet Gladchuk the following day was, Chet, who's going to coach the quarterback? <laughs> um, you don't just find someone who knows how to coach option quarterbacks. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we have sophomore quarterbacks that are learning on the job in Ty Lavatai and Xavier Arline. So I think that was the key element there was you can't just go out and hire an option quarterbacks coach midseason um, so that that I think it was wise that they kept Ivan Jasper on staff. And oh, by the way, um, Ivan Jasper was credited with the in-game adjustment that made the difference against Tulsa last week. Well, where they are right now at the quarterback position, it has definitely evolved over the course of this season. And you mentioned a couple of the names there: Arline and Levante, and. It seems it, it looks like they're, they've pretty much stuck with Levante, but they've played a lot of quarterbacks. They played multiple guys early in the season. It looked like mostly Arline and Maynard was in there as well. So how how has this evolved, and, and where are they right now with the quarterback position? Right. Well, Ty Lavatai was the season the starter for the season opener, and he looked okay in the first half against Marshall. Early in the second half, he suffered an injury and had to leave the game. So our line came in and played fairly well in the second half. Um, Lavatai was not ready to go in the next game. So our line took over as the starter and um, Maynard comes in at the end of games because he's the best passer of the three. Okay. So when Maynard has come in, it's been at the end of losses where they had to throw the ball, but Lavatai is their guy. They like him the best because they feel like he's got, the best overall package. He's a tough inside runner. He does throw the ball effectively. He's a good passer. Um, and he, they feel like he reads the defenses and, you know, distributes the ball a little bit better than Xavier. Xavier's a very small guy. And interesting story about him. He was a, he's a big time lacrosse player and he was committed to play lacrosse at North Carolina. And he wanted to play football. So he, he committed from North Carolina and committed to Navy because they were going to give him a chance to play both football and lacrosse. Now, interesting, he hadn't played lacrosse at Navy yet. Um, but the bottom line is he's a smaller guy, and, you know, Lavatai's got some size. He's 6'2", 220, you know, pretty physical guy. And uh, Xavier's just – he's really small. He's very, very undersized. Uh, I think if Lavatai 
seizes this position, which it looks like he's doing, Xavier may end up moving to slot back. When they recruit these guys, obviously you're recruiting a guy to to play football at at a, at a service academy, so it's it's different than if you're recruiting him to other places. But when they recruit these quarterbacks specifically, are are they recruiting quarterbacks who've played in the option in high school, or are they are recruiting athletes and trying to turn them into a quarterback when they when they get to Navy? How how does that typically work for them? By and large, you're recruiting the best athlete you can get and okay. teaching him how to, to run the option. Cause there's not, I mean, very few high schools run true read triple option. Right. Like Navy's doing. They run run pass option. They may run like Xavier Arline ran double option. It was basically him and a tailback. And it's, it's, that's, it's only one read. What Navy's doing is it's such a high level and so different. No, no, no high school really runs the true read triple option the way Navy does. So you're going to have to get guys in here and teach them. And, you know, that's part of why Ivan Jasper, who we mentioned earlier, is so, so valuable. Important, yeah. <laughs> developed so many guys who were, did not ever, had never thought about the triple option until they got to Navy. Ricky Dobbs, Keenan Reynolds. I could go on and on naming Malcolm Perry, the great quarterbacks that Navy's had over the years that he developed. So um, it's a process. It takes time, and you mentioned, you know, sophomores. That's part of the problem here is they're, they're still learning all of this. I mean, it's an art to reading defenses. I mean, you have a split second to determine whether the end is crashing down to take the full, fullback or whether he's staying outside to mm-hmm. play the pitch. So it's just very, very difficult, and you got to make a lot of quick decisions, and so much of it is instinct. That's why Keenan Reynolds was so good. He was a four-year starter, and by his junior and senior year, he knew that option as well as Ivan Jasper. So it's hard to get to that stage. And Ty Labatai is, is he's still in the, the, the beginning uh, of his development. They beat Tulsa last week, snapped a three-game losing streak. They played Cincinnati close the week before that, and you kind of touched on it a little bit. Brian Kelly said at, at his press conference he attributes Navy's better play to their defense. Is that Would you kind of go along with that as well? Absolutely, 100%. Brian Newberry is a genius. <laughs> what he is doing defensively is is nothing short of remarkable. I mean, they're going against these high-powered offenses, Houston, SMU, Central Florida, Cincinnati. It's just nonstop. And he is finding ways to limit these teams and hold them to a manageable number. I mean, you go look at the scores of the American Athletic Conference games. They're all in the 30s. Everybody, if SMU plays Houston, it's 38-35. You know, Cincinnati plays Central Florida, and it's 44-28. You know, so you got to score. you got to be up around the 30s to win games in that conference, and that's been Navy's problem. They're averaging 18.8 points per game. They are just not getting up to the number that they need to win games, and it's a shame because, you know, Houston, they hold a very explosive Houston team to 28 points, and they can't score more than 20. You know, they're the uh, hold Cincinnati to its lowest point total of the season. And and they, well, that Notre Dame actually did 24, but 27, second lowest point total, and you lose 27-20. You've got to score 30 points to give yourself a chance. But, yeah, Brian Newberry in the defense, remarkable, remarkable job. And, uh, you know, that's what they got to do again on Saturday. They've got to try to keep Notre Dame under 30. Yeah, and I mean, their pass, you know, their their run defense has been good. Their pass efficiency defense only ranks 102nd. That seems to be the matchup to look at. Is that kind of what you think? Yeah, the Navy will always try to, especially against a team like Notre Dame, they're going to try to stop the run first and make them more one-dimensional. Now, one thing that Newberry does very well is he uses exotic blitzes. He'll bring people from everywhere. Um, so, I mean, they have defended the pass pretty well i mean i think those stats are skewed by the marshall game um and and a couple others like central florida was high scoring but they're they've they've done fairly well against some pretty good passing offenses i mean tulsa had a great passing off how they had their fewest passing yards of the season tulsa so navy can defend the pass well but the key is making teams putting them into obvious passing situations when navy struggles is when when they cannot stop the run and teams are in second and short, third and short, and then you can throw the ball 
Um, that that's when so Navy needs to put you in obvious passing situations because that changes everything for them. Right, Bill. It, it seems like a hundred years ago at this point, but Notre Dame and Navy <laughs> they were supposed to play in Ireland last year. I haven't really heard anything at this end. Have you heard any you know anything new in in terms of if that could happen in the near future? It doesn't appear it's happening anytime soon. I think it'll definitely happen again. And I still got my ticket to Dublin that I <laughs> looks like I'm going to have to use in the summer for vacation. Because, um, and what a mess that was. I yeah. tell you what, and I was trying to follow that. And I actually, uh, by accident, fell into the story about the game being switched to Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. Mm, that's and, right. And I also uh, was there to break the story about the fact that the game wouldn't be played at all. But, I mean, that was quite the drama that went on. And, you know, we all knew something was afoot because, you know, it's like Ireland is shut down. Exactly. Why do you all still think you can play this game over there? And it was inevitable that they're going to have to call it now. But the interesting fact, it was no one expected that it was going to go to Annapolis. I think, you know, my guess was that it was going to be played at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore, the home of the Baltimore Ravens because they played that game there before. But then you realize you don't need an NFL stadium when there's not going to be any fans. Exactly. So uh, I really wish that game had happened because I wanted to see Notre Dame play Navy at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. That would have been a once in a lifetime, uh, you know, event. I thought it would have been pretty cool as well if they could pull that out. I think it's unfortunate that they weren't able to do it. Bill Wagner from the Annapolis Capital Gazette covering Navy. Always enjoy talking with you. Great stuff as always, Bill. Thanks a lot. Yep, but I'll tell you, the last parting shot, I'll mention that Brian Newberry, you talked about the defense. He's Mm -hmm. still smarting from what happened two years ago out there in South Bend. Navy was playing really good defense that year. It was his first year as defensive coordinator, so it was his first time going against Notre Dame. And Ian Book and company just, got after navy yeah and uh i think uh, you know he i had never i had to wait for him like 30 minutes after the game to come out of the locker room because he was just sitting in there so angry <laughs> and he finally came out and was just like you know i i got out coached sometimes you get out coached and today i got out coached so i'd be interesting to see if newberry comes up with a better game plan and finds a way to slow down this potent Irish attack. I mean, yeah, that was a good team. It was a ranked Navy team. I, I think we were all oh, yeah, surprised to see. Yeah, they ranked 23. Yeah. ended up going 11-2 and two and beating Kansas State in the uh, Liberty Bowl. Right. I mean, that was one of the best teams that Neamat Delola's had in his 14 years, and they got waxed. Yeah, I, you know, we were shocked. So maybe uh, maybe a little revenge on uh, on the mind coming in this weekend to uh, to make things even more interesting when this rivalry gets renewed are you coming into town this weekend bill absolutely i've never missed a navy notre dame game in south bend uh don't plan to as long as i'm with the paper and yes i have seen navy teams that were on paper should have gotten killed teams that didn't have great records take notre dame to the limit and of course we've seen navy beat notre dame four times since 2008 when navy snapped the infamous 43 game losing streak so it can happen that is Bill Wagner from the Annapolis Capital Gazette, the uh, longtime reporter covering Navy football. And uh, he told me he's also um, his work is also now in uh, one of the Baltimore newspapers as well, which, of course, is not very far from Annapolis. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got more Leprechaun Lunch presented by First State Bank. We've got some lines we will look at for this weekend's college football action, including tomorrow's Notre Dame Navy game. We've got that coming up next on the Leprechaun Lunch presented by First State Bank on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Ball left ass for Wentz. Taylor's his back. They fake it to him. Wentz to throw. Now he's shuffling in the pocket. He's going to throw left side wide open to the end zone. And that is Danny Pinter. And it's Danny Pinter, the former tight end out of Ball State, finds the end zone on a touchdown pass from Carson Wentz. It's 34 to 10. <laughs> South Bend Adams' very own Danny Pinter with his first career touchdown reception last night. Pinter, who uh, started his uh, high school career as a tackle, 
He switched to tight end, I believe it was his junior year when he became a tight end because his brother, Matt, uh, was uh, the varsity tight end until he graduated in 2013. And then Danny became a tight end, went to Ball State as a tight end, transitioned into that uh, bigger, bulkier frame he's got right now into <laughs> a uh, a tackle and then uh, drafted by the ball or the Baltimore by the uh, Indianapolis Colts <laughs> as a tackle and uh, used those hands and got his first touchdown pass on that ball from uh, Carson Wentz last night. I was watching that game and I walked into my kitchen and all of a sudden I hear Joe Buck say, touchdown, Danny Pinter. And I went, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I went back into the living room and, and there it was, Danny Pinter. And the, the funny thing was <laughs> – they kind of, Ball State, when they came to Notre Dame Stadium a few years ago, mm-hmm. they tried, uh, I think what it was, uh, basically the same kind of play. They tried to get Danny Pinter the ball in a touchdown in that game at Notre Dame Stadium, but it didn't quite work out. So uh, Danny ends up with a touchdown last night. He and my son were teammates on uh, the oh, great cool. sectional team at Adams in uh, 2012. They uh, Those two... Shaq Van, who uh, went on to play at Eastern Michigan, and, and a slew of other guys, obviously, on a team like that. They lost to Drew Tranquil and his brother in the sectional championship game, Fort Wayne Carroll, in 2012. That uh, was basically the best Adams team in uh, the last 30-plus years, that 2012 team, that Danny Pinter was one of the starting tackles on that team, leading the way for uh, – Shaq Van, Gavin Miller, and and uh, some other guys with uh, the rushing that they had that year. Really good, really great Adams team. And Danny Pinter with uh, a big play last night. It was great to see him uh, score that touchdown last night for the Colts. And, of course, offensive lineman touchdown. Come on. That's right, baby. The, I mean, the best play in football. That's right. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you've played tight end before in your career or not. You're an offensive lineman That's now. Right. And when you make that you – no, and he – he did it just right. It was a little bit of a low pass from, from Carson Wentz, and mm-hmm. he went down to his knees and kind of secured it in his gut <laughs> and, nice. uh, and made that catch. So that was really cool to see. All right, we've got just a few minutes before we wrap up on the Leprechaun Lunch presented by First State Bank. Jim, what kind of props do you have for us for the weekend? Well, first of all, Notre Dame a 20-and-a-half-point favorite this weekend. Whew. So, will Notre Dame beat Navy by double digits? Yes or no? Actually, uh, the, the choices are easily or nope. Double digits, <laughs> I'll take. I don't know about the full 20, though. Yeah. You know, because this, it's just, you know, like we were ju- just heard from Bill Wagner there. That Navy team a couple of years ago was really good, and they were supposed to have a good defense, but that's not what showed up that day. Ian mm-hmm. Book and, and that Notre Dame offense just tore them apart. I just. I just never know what to expect when you play Navy. Uh, you know, right. this this is not a good Navy team, but their defense has been solid. Uh, they're better against the run, though, than the pass. And so this is one of those games where Jack Cohn and uh, Notre Dame's receivers and, and tight end Michael Mayer should be able to have some dominance. But I just – it's just hard to ever have a true gut feel on what you're going to get from a Notre Dame-Navy game. And also – Navy doesn't give up. They don't. Yeah. They don't stop coming at I you. Mean, no it's matter cliche, how. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they do. You know exactly. Yeah, right. It, it is the total cliche, but it totally fits Navy. Right. And I could see a lot of garbage time points coming <laughs> in this game, even because of yep. it. So. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Which team will rush for more yards? Uh, I think Navy will. Uh, you know. Okay. I, I. I just you know because again. Even though Navy's defense is not great, they are fairly tough to run against. Um, and, you know, you just – like just that mentality that you talked about. I know Navy's got that mentality. And even though Notre Dame has run the ball better in recent weeks, I'm still not totally convinced that Notre Dame's offensive line has that same kind of mentality to match it. So I think that that is a matchup that favors Navy, you know, when Navy is on defense. And, you know, Navy is the triple option. They're going to run the football. So I I think that they're going to run for more yards tomorrow. All right. Who scores Notre Dame's first points versus Navy? Kyron Williams, Michael Mayer, Kevin Austin, Jonathan Doerr, or other? I'll go with Kevin Austin. 
Okay. I think it's going to be Kevin Austin on uh, a big pass play that he'll get. Okay. I'm I'm going to go with Jonathan Dorr just because seems trendy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> settle for a field goal on the first drive. <laughs> exactly. Just just settle immediately. Uh, how many yards will Cone throw for? The over-under is two, uh, 224.5. Yeah, I was wondering on where this line will be. Um I'm going to go over, okay. you know, and that's but that's a balance too because, you know, if Notre Dame's not running the ball, they obviously have to throw the ball. But if right. they do get a lead, Brian Kelly, you know, it's like he he's not going to want to rub it in against the Service Academy and all right. that kind of stuff. Right. You know, that's part of it. But I think that that Cone will get over that number ultimately. Okay, and then uh, one more. Will Kyron Williams lead all Notre Dame and Navy players in rush yards? I know you said that Navy would have more rush yards, but Kyron individually. No, I'm okay. gonna say I'm gonna say that uh, it's gonna be Navy. Okay. Wh- whoever, either the fullback or the quarterback, is is gonna win that. All tomorrow. right. All right. Well, I guess that's it. We've yeah. got to wrap things up. Yes, now. we do. As uh, this show just blew right by us, the Leprechaun Lunch is presented by First State Bank, lending strength to our communities by devoting ourselves to helping local businesses grow and prosper. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Contact Jerry Madsen in Osceola or Craig Langhofer in New Carlisle. Also presented by South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for Notre Dame since 1949, Wings, etc., Legacy Heating and Air, and Four Winds Casino, your entertainment escape. That's going to do it for Jimmy Rosari, Sean Steyer's Leprechaun Lunch, WSBT, South Bend. Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 